Hello, everyone, and welcome to Youth Positively Speaking's new mini-series where we'll be discussing many different topics surrounding parenting and the LGBTQ plus community. My name is Paige Ewing, and I work at Prevention Resources as the Multimedia Specialist. Prevention Resources is a nonprofit located in New Jersey that is dedicated to promoting health and wellness of individuals, families, and community through education, collaboration, advocacy, and treatment. I have with me Leslie Gable, the co-CEO of Prevention Resources, and Aaron Cohen, Prevention Resources Prevention Director. To add to our conversation, we also have with us our expert, Dr. Dennis Flores. Can you please introduce yourself, Dr. Flores? Sure thing, Paige. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Dennis Flores. I'm an assistant professor here in the School of Nursing at the University of Pennsylvania. My work has been focused on family-based LGBTQ health, um, and we have worked, we've collaborated with hundreds of parents and hundreds of LGBTQ adolescents through the past few years uh, to hear their perspectives and come up with programming and resources uh, to help these dyads. Dr. Flores, thank you so much for your time today. I'd like to talk today about the challenges parents face, in particular, around the landscape of LGBTQ adolescents. What are the particular challenges do you think in today's uh, health challenges and preventative health across the board, do they need to be concerned about? Yeah, um, I think it bears recognizing that we at this historical period are seeing that number one, more youth are coming out at earlier ages as LGBTQ compared to all the previous cohorts of LGBTQ individuals. Additionally, more parents um, are more cognizant of this reality. And so between LGBTQ youth coming out at earlier ages, such as when they're teens and young parents wanting to be supportive and be in that space, there's an extended period now where parents are vital partners in ensuring that this young population comes out of adolescence with positive health, both mental health and sexual health. And so there's a lot more writing, uh, there's a lot more pressure and opportunities really for parents to make sure that they're working hand in hand with their young person so that you know they come out of adolescence of puberty unscathed. So Dr. Flores, when we talk about how the landscape changes for parents, and we look at how our family dynamics may change. Sometimes you look at how when your child was born as one gender and they come out as another gender, what do we do to help reframe what we thought our life would be like? Yeah, Erin, um, thank you for that question. Certainly we've got literature that uh, shows that when a child discloses a gender identity that, that's different from what the parents initially assumed, or even a sexual orientation that is uh, non-heterosexual, uh, there is an adjustment period. And in that adjustment period for parents, it may include grief, it may include shock. So we need to be cognizant of the needs of parents as they're adjusting to this new piece of information. Um, on the other half of that equation, there's also a lot of need for this young person to make sure that you know they are continuing through um, adolescence or puberty with the best resources possible. And so whereas we previously just thought of catering to adolescence, my work is really focused on the family unit, both parents' health and the young person's health, because this dyadic exchange really has a direct impact on the health of both those members. 
Um, we also have data to show that after disclosure, it takes about two years before family relations go back to baseline. And so with supportive resources for the family unit, not just the youth or not just the parents, we can hopefully shorten that period of transition so that they get back to work to family functioning that is optimal. Um, but definitely recognizing the specific and nuanced needs of parents and nuanced needs of young people. They need to go in tandem so that we're addressing the family unit. So Dr. Flores, um, so you talk about shortening the window with support. Can you give me some examples of what type of support would a family need? Now we've talked about some preventative health in some of our other series. So uh, what other types of support would would uh, would a family need? Yeah. So in the last few episodes, we've really focused on the outcomes for young people. But I do want to say that for parents, for example, um, even if it's the most accepting parent and they have no hangups whatsoever with uh, LGBTQ um, identities or issues, um, they might have a family member who has an issue. And these extended family members are still important people and have an impact on the out on the health of parents and the young person, right? Um, and so we need to be cognizant of who's the who are the important other people uh, beyond the the family unit. What is their community like? What are resources in the school setting, for example, so that parents are reassured that when they send off their children, the children are supported in the school. Um, do they have an affirming church community that they can also turn to? Because it can be quite a stressor when they are disengaged from, from like an affirming, from a community that they've always relied on. And then we can think of other systems such as healthcare. Um, are they going to be able to access both of them resources to take care of themselves given this, you know, uh, for some families, a moment of crisis? Um, and so really looking at all the other ecological systems or the other levels uh, that they interact with with frequency. I think when you just mentioned community and schools, sometimes you're having parents well, we're going to have to navigate through that because I know as a parent of someone in the LGBTQ community, sometimes I'm out in the community, sometimes I'm out in the schools and I hear people saying things and it means something different when you're a parent of a child like that, right? So how do parents navigate when they hear maybe something negative? What do they do? Yeah, that's a, that's a great comment, Erin. Um, and I, I also want to acknowledge too that when a child comes out as LGBTQ, the parent also has a corresponding process of coming out that they will have to uh, go through in their own journey, right? Because now they're a lot more sensitive to what are the comments being made at the grocery store or at the school and do they need to intervene? Um, and so these are things that, you know, whereas it wasn't something that you cared about, well, now you do. And having to acknowledge that and doing your homework so that it minimizes your stress or that you're able to be sure that you are a protective resource for your young person. Um, you know, you can have conversations, you can look at the website of the local school district, you can look at the policies in the doctor's clinic that you've attended forever uh, to make sure that they're still congruent with what the needs are now of your current situation. Uh, and it's just a matter of 
checking off the boxes and making sure that you, you are mindful uh, and you're not subjecting yourself and your young person to non-affirming spaces. Dr. Flores, uh, thank you for that. Because I know uh, we've spoken in the past and I asked you uh, once, what do you think really needs to change? Because I'm, we were talking about really concern around mental health for the LGBTQ community. And um, and you had said, and I, I tell you, it stayed with me. And you said, Leslie, the thing that needs to happen is more for the non-LGBTQ community and the stigma that exists. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could just speak a little bit more about um, what what can be done in that in that area? Because we you know you hear this word stigma, but what can be done? Um, and what would you like people to be? What when you say stigma and, and what can be done? What should people know in in that that area that space? Yeah, um, I love that question because it's almost like one of those early Christmas morning requests that if I could, if there's anything that you know I wish could happen. But uh, yeah, to that previous conversation we had, stigma is really when we think of another group or an individual as less than or something to be dubious about or concerned about. Uh, and a lot of the stigma that we have, and it's not just on this topic or this population, but across all of the, uh, the, the beliefs that we have about some people, is, is rooted in not knowing. Uh, or having a preconceived notion that might not be accurate. Um, and so if there's one wish I had, it would just be to ask people to engage with folks they don't, don't normally hang out with or have conversations with so that you can go beyond what you thought you knew and try to dispel some of those notions that actually might be antiquated or are just plain wrong. Um, and so if we have parents who never had to think about these issues before. And then one random Sunday afternoon, they're given an information that apparently this is an issue within their own home. They start, they need, they start to force themselves to confront the issue. And then that invariably leads to, at least for folks uh, who previously had problematic notions about LGBTQ people, them realizing that, oh, um, I need more grace in, in trying to come up with a new conception of myself and a new idea of me as an accepting parent. Um, and this is something that the lar larger society also needs to undertake, this examination of what is the root cause of our perceptions and is it the most accurate um, you know, assessment? We, we need to figure out where our biases come from and then uh, just proceed from that. I do think that sometimes when people don't know something and they have that fear and they think it's different once they get to know someone or you know if it's their own child then they see that they're just still people they're just still people that have the same needs yeah um people's assumptions when it's really challenged you know it can be a major task and some people um, overcome it quicker than others. Um, and, you know, I believe in being patient with folks, but also there's an element of 
while you're needing adjustment, there's also other folks involved that need to be supported supported as well, like your LGBTQ young person. Uh, and so it's a heavy task that goes in tandem with your own changed persona or your changed uh, conception of yourself as a parent. As I said, there's a plot twist that kind of happens and it's that nimbleness with which you respond to the plot twist that determines the success or at least the initial um, outcomes for your young person. And that's where the stakes are high. Our, our final question, if I, if I can. Um, Dr. Flores, uh, what should parents uh, be concerned about uh, for their LGBTQ youth as far as the medical landscape uh, across, across the United States, really in the world today? Uh, is there any concerns they should have? Yeah, um, I don't know if I should say concern, concern, because I don't want to be such an alarmist, but um, we definitely know, and I as a nurse know, that the healthcare industry has a long way to go to make sure that we're quite competent in the care that we provide to LGBTQ individuals, whether it's a young person or somebody who's in a, in a more advanced age. Um, and so as a parent, I think part of the homework that needs to be done is to start looking through who are the professionals that interact with your young person and with your family? And do they know how to be respectful? Do they know, do they have the latest technologies and the know-how and the practices to support them in our medical care? Because one of the worst things that you can do is to not examine that and subject your young person or subject your family to bias or all the way to outright violence. And that's something that's key. And we're very committed to making sure that the landscape in healthcare uh, does keep up and provides competent care. But you also need to be, as a consumer, be aware of the capacity of the healthcare that you're accessing um, and you know that you're providing your money to. Well, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Flores, from coming for coming on and speaking with us throughout this whole series. And of course, a thank you to Penn Nursing and Parents Assist for partnering on this series with us. For those in our community, just like you were talking about, Dr. Flores, we do have resources within our community, and you can find more information about those LGBTQ plus resources on our website, njprevent.com. And of course, we want to thank you for listening in, and we'll see you next time for more Youth Positively Speaking. Thank you.